0: Good morning. Sorry if my voice cracks. I like like worshiping with you guys. Oh man, Um, God is good. Amen. Get through it, Mark. All right, glad to be with you this morning Uh, as we continue our Experiencing God series. Uh, We kicked this off last week. and I have had the privilege of, of being invested in this study over the last few weeks in preparation for this message and just in preparation for this series as a whole. And man, God is just speaking. Um, God has spoken so much to me just in the few weeks of prep, uh, and so I'm excited to see what God will continue to speak to me, what I'm sure God will speak to you, uh, and get what God will speak to us as a church as we go through this series. Uh, last week, we kicked off unit one, so if you're sitting here today like, oh my gosh, I missed last week. It's okay. It's okay. We're not that far into it. Um, you can still pick up a workbook at the Connect Kiosk. I think, I think we still have those there. If not, you can order it on Amazon. Uh, but uh, gosh, I just encourage you so much to dive into this as much as you can invest into it. Um, dive into the workbook. Get into a life group. Uh, this is so, so good. Such good stuff that God's leading us through. Uh, and now... Uh, so last week, we, caught, we started off unit one where we talked about the will of God. What's the will of God? And we, we, we kind of worked through that in that first week uh, through the book. And we found through that that the quick summary, basically, is that God's desire, God's will, is to glorify himself by being in relationship with you. And now as we head into unit or chapter two or week two or whatever you want to call it, we get to kind of narrow in our focus for what that means for us. What does it mean to follow God's will, to be a servant of the will of God? And as you work through this week in your life groups and in your workbooks, uh, basically the main concept that this boils down to is this. You are dead. Jesus is alive. When you place your faith in Jesus as your Lord, you die. Your preferences, your desires, your dreams, your hopes, everything that's based on who you were is put to death. And now that you are founded wholly and completely on Jesus, your whole life is submitted to God's preferences, God's desires, and God's hope. And to to flesh out what this concept looks like, I want to look at Jesus' own words on this very topic. And for that, we can go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. So you can turn there in your Bibles if you have it, or if you can go into the the North Point app. We have this week's talk that you can follow along. Uh, But some context, up to this point in his ministry, Jesus has started to gain some notoriety. People are starting to notice this Jesus guy performing miracles and speaking and doing all this stuff. And so Jesus asks his disciples, hey, as you're talking to people, who do people say that I am? And his disciples respond and say, well, uh, some people say that you're John the Baptist, Or some people say that you are Elijah or or one of the other prophets that's come back from the dead. And so Jesus flips the question then and asks the disciples, okay, then who do you say that I am? In other words, who do you think that I am, that I can do all these things? And Peter, one of the disciples that always needs to speak first, says, Jesus, you are the Christ of God. And so Jesus affirms what Peter says by telling his disciples that because he is the Christ, meaning he is the chosen savior, because he is the Christ, that he must suffer many things and ultimately be killed in order to fulfill this role, but that he would rise from the dead. And then we get to this point in Luke chapter nine, verse 23, we'll start at verse 23 and go to 25. So after saying this, these things, Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Now, we might hear these words from Jesus, and if we're thinking, okay, if this is Jesus' sales pitch pitch to being a disciple, we might say, Jesus you're coming across a little strong, this is a buzzkill that you're telling people that, that to follow you, that you yourself are going to be tortured, humiliated, beaten, spit on, shamed, and ultimately suffer the most horrific death that our culture can imagine, and by signing up as a follower, you get to do the same thing, right? Where do I sign up? If we're looking at Jesus' salesmanship, we might say, Jesus, hey, if we're gonna give some feedback, We might want to sand off some of those rough edges, right? If our goal is to gain followers, this is going to scare people off. That's where Jesus is being very clear here. His goal is not to gain followers. His goal is to gain followers. Does my difference in emphasis make sense? It's a quality that Jesus is looking for. Jesus is saying that you're either all in or you're not a follower, There is no halfway Jesus follower. It doesn't exist. Because if you want to be a Jesus follower, the requirement is that you are dead. And you can't be halfway dead. From this day forward, when you place your faith in Christ, you deny yourself. You are not self-focused. You are God-focused. You refuse to let your life and your choices and your decisions be uh, followed by your own personal preferences and desires. You take up your cross daily, which means you willingly put on the burden of what it means to follow Jesus by denying self and pursuing Christ. You die, Jesus lives. That is the deal. And this is very countercultural for us, right? All of this talk of denying self, dying to self, choosing to follow someone else at the total expense of self, Our world hears that and thinks that not only is that unwise, but to completely deny self and to ask others to do the same as a condition of following Jesus is to commit harm against someone because you are denying people the very means of living as their true selves. This is why the church has so much conflict in the world right now surrounding all these different areas. Pick an area of sexuality, politics, racial tension, work, family life, all of these different areas of struggle because the world screams at us from every angle that you and your preferences and your desires are the driving force behind your life. And that is a lie from the enemy. That's not true. The enemy says that to die to self is the most unloving thing a person could ask you to do because you're asking someone to give up on their dreams, a pursuit of a comfortable life, or maybe something even as simple as a personal preference. And that lie is clever because it's half true. Jesus does ask that you die to yourself, your desires, your dreams, that you give up your pursuit of a comfortable, cozy life. But while this lie tells you that that's unloving, The truth is that it's the most loving thing that could be asked of us because it's only on the other side of death to self that we find life in Christ, amen? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a a pastor in Germany in the 1930s and 40s. He was a notable public figure in Germany that was anti-Nazi and anti-Hitler. And due to his public opposition to the Nazi party, he was eventually arrested and executed Toward the end of World War II. But in 1937, Bonhoeffer published a book titled The Cost of Discipleship. And I want to share this with you and keep, this in, keep these excerpts of the book in mind in the context of a pastor in World War II. And uh, I'll, I'll let him explain. Uh, this is a, regarding the call to deny yourself, to die, yourself, to, die to yourself. Bonhoeffer writes this. The first Christ-suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. And thus it begins, the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Elsewhere in this book, Bonhoeffer wrestles with what God's grace looks like for us as we must follow Jesus. What does that cost us? And he explains it as this concept of cheap grace versus costly grace, and I'll let him explain. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field for the sake of it a man will go and sell all that he has. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow and it's grace because it calls us to follow Christ. It's costly because it costs a man his life and it's grace because it gives a man the only true life. Costly because it condemns sin, grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son, and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. God's grace to you is free, absolutely, but it is not cheap. Do we understand the difference in that? That God, the ultimate price for you has been paid. By God, that you are free completely, and the, the cost of following Jesus will cost you everything. Because it means that when you accept the free gift of God, that to follow Him means the total abandonment of self and the total surrender to God's will. It cost Dietrich Bonhoeffer his life. We must not fool ourselves into thinking it will cost us less. And this is all fine and good in terms of verbiage, in terms of concept. You know, churches tend to talk a lot about dying to self and pursuing God, but what does this actually look like for us? Practically, how do we do this on a daily basis? Well, I have seven steps, seven best practices, or whatever you want to call them, for how we die to self and pursue God daily. Step one get in God's Word. If you are looking for God to speak in your life and you are not reading the words that He spoke, you are crazy. Right? I've had, we've had people come up to us before and say, hey, you know, gosh, we just, I want God to speak into my life, but it just feels like He's being so silent. And the first question we ask is, how's your Bible reading going? Right? If we desire to live out what it means to lose our life so that Jesus can save it, Then we go to places like Luke 9, we go to the Bible, we go to the stories of the church in Acts or the letters written by the Apostle Paul, or we see stories in the Old Testament where people risked everything for the sake of following God's commands. If you want God to speak, go to where he has already spoken and find him waiting for you there. Step two, pray consistently. A few years ago, I remember discussing, my wife and I, Julie and I, had a pretty big life decision that was facing us, and I just remember talking to this friend about it over and over and over again. It felt like this thing we would just always default to talking about. And at one point, probably in the middle of the 50th conversation I had had with this friend, my friend stopped me and said, hey, Mark, I just have a question. Have you prayed about it as much as you've talked about it with me? Now, I'm sure at the time, my friend was like, oh my gosh, I need to get Mark to stop talking about this with me, it's so annoying. But that question punched me in the gut because I realized I was talking with everyone else about it, but I hadn't really taken it to God. And so when it comes to you and what you're seeking in your life or your job or your family, or your dreams, decisions, whatever it might be, are you talking with God about it? If we're really dying to self, That means when it comes to our biggest and smallest decisions that we make every single day, that we submit all of that to God's desire. And one of the ways that we seek God's input on that is to pray. And could it be that God is waiting to give you the direction and the guidance that you so desperately seek in an area of your life, but you're just not willing to engage in the conversation with him? Which brings us to step three, listen for God to speak. Now when we picture prayer in our modern day context, we tend to picture this very religious person who's wearing very nice clothes and gets down on their knees and gets into a quiet and secluded place and they pray for hours and hours and hours and they quote theologians and they quote scripture and they just use very rich and profound language. And we think, oh, I'll never be able to pray like that. And I would say, that's okay, that's okay. Because if that's all your prayer life looks like, then you are missing a key component of prayer. Prayer is designed to be a relationship builder where communication goes both ways. And so why is it that when we pray, we tend to focus so much on expressing our thoughts and our feelings, and then we quickly wrap up our prayer and we go about our day. And meanwhile, God's like, hey... (laughs) Do I get to express how I feel in this situation, the thoughts that I have for you? You see, we need to be intentional about setting aside time in our prayer to listen for God's voice. Now, I can already hear the question that you're asking. You're saying, Mark, are you saying that I'm going to audibly, physically hear the voice of God? Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) That's possible. But I would say we're never gonna know what God's voice sounds like in our lives if we don't listen for it. It might be audible, but at least for me in my experience, God speaks into my heart and guides my thoughts and plants thoughts and pushes me closer to him. But that takes time to recognize because you see, we need a relationship with God in order to recognize his voice. I'm gonna say that again because that sounds like a pastoral phrase that you can repeat. You need a relationship in order to recognize, right? Do we have a relationship with God? Then how are we gonna recognize his voice? Here's a a silly example of what this looks like uh, in our house. I like smart technology, so if it's electronic and I can control it with my phone, I want it. And so we've set up in our house, we have smart lights and smart thermostat and smart doorbell and smart garage door opener and smart smoke detectors and whatever it might be. And it's convenient, not just because I can control it with my phone, but because I can control it with my voice. So sorry if you're watching online, if this triggers smart stuff in your house, but I can walk through my house and I can say, Alexa, turn off the kitchen lights, open the garage door, set the thermostat to 71. Is the front door locked? And I can just go through and ask all these things. And it's super convenient. I love it. But what we found is that as we were setting this up in our house, Julie, my wife, found that for some reason, Alexa could not understand her. She would stand over and say, Alexa, turn on the kitchen lights. And Alexa would say, I'm sorry, I can't understand you. (laughs) And that just happened over and over. And what we found over time is that because I was the one that was using the technology more, it actually learned to listen to me. It it set the algorithm of the computer brain to listen for my voice. And so now it's to the point where I can just kind of mumble or whisper things to it, and it will understand perfectly. And still to this day, Julie can ask for music to be playing in the nursery, and it will turn off the lights in the basement. (laughs) And the point here is that because Alexa was constantly listening to my voice, it developed a special skill to discern what I was saying. And that's what you need to do with God's voice. Think of all of the voices that are vying for your attention in the world today. And we need to take the algorithm of our mind and tune it exclusively to God's voice. And you'll see that over time, as you see his voice in scripture, as you see his voice in your prayer life, and as you develop this skill, you'll see that God has been speaking to you all along. It's just that we don't like to listen which brings us to step 4 lean on the holy spirit if you don't recognize god's voice or you don't want to listen to god's voice the good news is god knew that that would be a problem for us and so he sent a helper to help us from the moment that you are saved god's word says in ephesians 1:13 that from the moment you believed that you are sealed with the promise of the holy spirit and I think we look at this. We look at step number four of leaning on the Holy Spirit, and this is a struggle for us because if we're honest, we look at the Holy Spirit as like the weird one of the Trinity. We look at the Holy Trinity of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we see God the Father. We're like, yep, that's familiar. We're familiar with fathers. We understand how you're a good father. That's great. Jesus the Son, he's our Savior. Love that. More of that. Thanks for what you did. Holy Spirit, I'm going to stick with these two guys, and we'll get, we'll tap you in if we need you. But I'm familiar with these. And that's how we tend to live our lives. We treat the Holy Spirit like the weird cousin at a family reunion, where we're like, "Uh, I don't really talk to you that much, so I'm just gonna stay busy over here, so you stay over there, I'll be busy here, and if we need you, we'll leap you in. And that's a real shame, because I think we rob the Holy Spirit of his purpose in our lives. This is a, a short list of the things that the Holy Spirit wants to do for us, but we think he's weird, So we ignore him. In John 14, 26, the Holy Spirit says he wants to teach you about God and help you remember things that you've already learned about God. In John 16, seven and eight, the Holy Spirit wants to help you see sin in your life and teach you how to deal with it properly. In Acts 1, eight, the Holy Spirit wants to give you boldness and the power to be a minister of the gospel for those in need. In 1 Corinthians 12, the Holy Spirit wants to give you gifts to build up both you and the church. And I'm not even necessarily talking about the miraculous gifts of, of tongues and healing. If you look in this passage, there are gifts like knowledge, wisdom, hospitality, faith, discernment, and the list goes on. And these are things the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life, but again, it goes back to the relationship piece. Is my relationship with the Holy Spirit to the point where I can recognize his voice? I can recognize his working in my life? Or is my relationship with the Holy Spirit like the awkward cousin at the family reunion? You stay over there, and I'm gonna stick with these two. The more you lean in and ask the Holy Spirit for help, the more you'll realize that he has already been moving in your life and longs to do more if you'll... Be in relationship with him. Our fifth step is to seek godly counsel. We must seek counsel, but it can't just be any counsel or advice. We must seek godly counsel when it comes to dying to self and pursuing God's will. Do not make the mistake that I often do when it comes to big decisions in my life where I will have a big decision and I will turn inward and I will figure everything out myself and I will land in a particular place and then once I've landed where I want to be, I will ask my friends for advice. But really, I'm just looking for confirmation for what I've already decided. Proverbs 15:22 says that plans go wrong for lack of advice, but many advisors bring success. And man, that's true in my life. So many dumb decisions could have been avoided if I just said these two simple words, help me. But we don't like to do that. But we can't just ask for this type of help from anyone. We should make sure that the people that speak deepest into our lives are the people who are firmly established in their relationship with God. Julie and I uh, had an experience early on in our marriage. We moved away. We got married young. We moved away from all of our family and friends. We moved over to Wisconsin. We didn't know anybody, so we made, you know, met a new church, made new friends, all that. And at some point, probably about a year into our move there, we had some sort of weird friend drama going on. I don't remember what it was. Someone was probably mad at me. That's normal. And so Julie went to one of our new friends and asked for advice. You know, How do we, how do we navigate this weird drama in our friend group? And I don't remember the specific advice that we got because it was so bad. I remember Julie coming back and we were debriefing and we were both like, this is the worst advice we've ever gotten. And we got to that point of evaluating it because we realized that the advice that we got from our friend was totally anti-gospel. It was built on a foundation of distrust, hurt, and a lack of grace for others. It was totally self Focused. There was no death to self in it. And when it comes to you seeking God's will, you can't have that in your life. You need people who love God more than they love you. Amen? And so here's what you need to do when seeking advice. I've started to implement this for the people that are closest to me in my life. When, you, when, I, when I come to someone and I bring them a decision, something that I'm wrestling with, some concept, I will, I will present it to them, I'll present my thoughts, and I'll tell them this. You have permission to disagree with me. You have permission to tell me no. Because you'll find that even the people who are closest to you and they love God and they love you, they will still try to preserve some sort of, uh, they don't wanna offend you. They still want to preserve your feelings. And so you have to make sure that the relationship that you have, that they love God, that they love you, and they realize that they have permission to crush your dreams if it means pushing you closer to Jesus. And that's hard, but it's necessary. Step six, I hate this step. Wait. Ugh. I suck at this step, this is the worst. You can ask Julie, if you, go, if you see Julie at some point today, you can ask her, Julie, what's Mark's biggest flaw? She'll say, before you even finish the question, lack of patience. I hate waiting. You can sit with me for about six seconds as I'm working with technology and be like, oh, Mark has about a three second fuse when it comes to his patience. Yes, three seconds, and that's after I've been saved. So imagine what it was like before I met Jesus. But I think to some extent, we all struggle with this step. Waiting for God to speak into our lives feels like torture for us. When it comes to listening for God's voice, it sometimes feels like he's talking about everything else except the one thing that we wanna hear from him on. You know, you think about what it might be for you. You know, it could be that God, you know... Am I supposed to marry this person? When am I supposed to get married? What school am I supposed to go to? Am I supposed to take this job or this job? Do we move? Do we not move? Do we sell on this market? God, what, what trendy parenting philosophy do I take on next? Whatever that decision might be, we wrestle with the waiting. And, and for me, when I'm faced with massive decisions like this, sometimes this is what my conversations with God will go like. I'll come before God and I'll say, God, I just, I desperately want your guidance on this area of my life. And God will respond and he'll say, hey, how's your relationship with your daughter? I'll say, uh, I think it's good. Um, she's 14 months old and uh, we're, we're working on it. We're developing, it's good. But if I can get your guidance here, that'd be great. And God's like, hey, have you, you know your friend that's going into surgery next week? Have you texted them just to let them know you're praying for him? I'd be like, yes, God, I've texted them. It's fine, everything's good. Can I get direction and guidance? Can, can you speak into this area of my life? God will say, hey, Let's go for a walk. You know, the fall colors are coming out. Now, let's, let's you and I, let's go on a walk. I'd be like, okay, God, if we go on a walk, then can I get direction on this area of my life? And what I've found is that over time in those humorous conversations that God is continually reminding me who he is and what is most important in my life. Because I do want God's guidance in this area of my life, but not at the expense of my relationship with my family. I do want God's direction here, but I have friends who need to feel the love of Christ in their life. And I do want God to speak, but I need to learn a deeper appreciation for the one who spoke creation into existence. And I think we find ourselves in this pattern of waiting, and we tend to think it's because God's mad at us. Something's wrong, and so I, God's making me wait. But I think we find ourselves in this pattern of waiting, not because God hates you, not because God thinks it's funny to keep you guessing. You find yourself in a pattern of waiting because God loves you and he has a plan for you. And part of God's plan is to make you wait so that you learn to rely on him alone for blessing. We actually see this in scripture. In Genesis 32, we see the story of Jacob wrestling with God. Jacob kind of wrestles with God all night. It's this weird wrestling match. And at some point, God asks Jacob to let him go, and Jacob says no, so God dislocates Jacob's hip in order to make him let go. And God says, let me go, and Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And as a result of Jacob's total reliance on God alone for blessing, God blesses him. And I think that might be what your pattern of waiting feels like. It feels like this desperate wrestling match where you're seeking God's will and he's not moving. And I would encourage you to maintain that Jacob-like spirit and do not let go of God because you can't find blessing anywhere else. Wait with him. And then step seven, when God God speaks, move immediately. Don't wait, you already did the waiting, that was step six. Now that God is speaking, don't hesitate, don't overthink, don't rationalize, go and do. Now to clarify, you might need some time in order to discern what God is saying. So take the time to do that. Seek clarity in Scripture. Seek clarity through prayer. Seek the Holy Spirit. Seek godly counsel. Do these steps sound familiar? Yes, we've just been talking about this. That's good. Yes to all of that. And when you have clarity on what God's desire is on a particular area of your life, go and do immediately. I want to share a simple story with you about... um, what this looked like in my life. Uh, A really, really simple story. I actually shared this story a while ago on North Point Plus, so maybe you've heard this story before. Um, A few years ago, uh, before Julie and I moved to DeWitt, we lived in Jackson, Michigan, and we used to stop at Qdoba every Sunday for lunch. It was part of our Sunday routine, church in the morning, Qdoba for lunch, every single Sunday. So one Sunday, Julie went home uh, to take care of the dogs. We had a brand new puppy, so she went home first, and I stopped at Qdoba to order our food, get our lunch, do all that. And as I'm standing in line, the woman behind me taps me on the shoulder, and she gestures. She asks what my tattoos mean. She starts speaking in sign language. I don't speak sign language, so she starts speaking in sign language and mouthing the words, what do those mean? So I explain that these are my favorite Bible verses, and I got these because they're super important to me because I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. And she speaks back to me that she's a Christian, too. And again, I don't speak sign language, so I'm trying to find some way to communicate and just say, like, that's awesome. Like, really, just big cheesy smile, big thumbs up. And I thought, wow, that was super cool. What a cool interaction. And as I, as I get to the end of the line, I've ordered my food, and I get to the end of the line, and I hear the Holy Spirit say, pay for her food. And I think, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> she doesn't know me. I'm just some random guy she met in Jackson. She's going to think I'm hitting on her. She doesn't know I'm happily married. She's, I just want to get home to teach my wife to turn on the smart lights. I don't want to cause a scene here. I don't want to do any of that, God. I'm just going to pay for my food and leave. And I think, you know what? If that's all God wants is for me to pay $11 to pay for someone's lunch, fine. I'll do it. So I, I turn to her and I say, hey, I'm, I'm going to pay for your food. And she protests a little bit, but I say, you know, I, I'm going to pay for your food. So she says, thank you. And I think, whew, good. That was amazing. No scene was caused. I followed through on God's command. Awesome. I feel really great. This is awesome. And I'm gathering up my food, and I turn, and I see that she turns to the person behind her and offers to pay for her food. And now I'm feeling really good about myself, like, oh, my gosh, I just started a chain of people that are paying for each other in Kidoba. This is going to go down as a historic day where people are paying for each other forever. This is amazing. God, thanks for making me part of this. And I'm feeling really good about myself. And then I, I turn around, and I'm filling up our fountain drinks And I hear the woman behind her in line openly sobbing. And in that moment, I feel about this big because I had taken this movement that God wanted to use and I made it about me. And even in the midst of my selfishness, God still accomplished his purpose because he knew that the woman that was two spaces behind me in line needed a blessing that day. And it didn't come from me. He knew that the best person to administer that blessing was someone that she felt comfortable with, someone that she could embrace, someone whose shoulder she could cry into. And I share this story with you to impress upon you the immediacy of obeying God's word. If the enemy can get you to second guess for a second, What God is saying that's all our dumb brains need to overthink to rationalize and to explain away what God wants to do and again I'm not telling you to not be discerning to not take the time you need to clarify but often when God speaks he's not speaking to you in cryptic riddles where you need to sit down and go to the original Greek and figure out what God's saying often when God speaks it's something simple like hey Reach out to that friend. Call your mom. Pay for that person's gas. Tell your kids you love them. Do you know that I love you? Ask that person for help. And we haven't learned to recognize his voice, and so we think that it's either not God, or we just try to find ways to explain away what God is asking us to do, because we're more concerned about what people think of us than what God wants which brings us all the way back to the beginning of the message you're dead who cares what people think about you Christ is alive in you and so we must ask the question and be honest are we truly dead to self or are we trying to Frankenstein together a body of our old life and trying to live halfway so that we can get the blessing of God without following God. It doesn't work that way. The reality is that if we're truly dead to self, then not only is it natural for us, it's actually best for us to recklessly pursue God's desires, to pursue God's will, regardless of what circumstances and storms the world may throw at us. Who cares what people think about you? You have Christ in you and we know from God's Word from what God has already spoken from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation that God desires that you would be in relationship with him that you would leave your sin that you would embrace him as Savior that you would worship him as Lord that you would serve him as King and that you would acknowledge and recognize that if you seek life it comes at the cost of your life. But following Jesus is the only decision that brings abundant life for those who follow him. Amen? Let's pray. God, we come before you because this is all easy to talk about. It's easy to talk about dying to self, about following you. It's easy to say that, yes, whatever, God, whatever you ask, God, that we will do immediately immediately. And then we find ourselves in these, these actual living scenarios where you ask us to text someone or to reach out to someone or to, to lay our hands on someone and pray for them or to pay for someone's lunch or to, to move. God, and that is hard for us. So God, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would move in this church. God, that you would speak, that you would help us to listen and that you would give us the boldness to pursue life with you, regardless of what the world thinks, regardless of what the world says or does, or whatever it might be, God, that you would help us to be a church that desires more and more of life with you. God, we ask these things in your name. Amen.